thing, becoming the real deal, Lucille, not being fake. How many of you know there's a lot of fake things in the world? There's fake purses, there's fake $100 bills, there's fake uh, uh, relax, I mean Rolex watches. Uh, I bought a relax watch one time uh, just out of fun and it lasted about 30 minutes. Uh, it was a fake, it was a counterfeit. Sadly, that's the case in, in the Christian culture. There's a lot of people who would, would say, in fact, Jesus said, there's people on that day will say, Lord, Lord, have we not prophesied in your name and your name done many miracles and in your name done this and that. And Jesus will say to them, sorry, pardon me, I never knew you. It doesn't matter what you say, it's, it matters who you are. And so Romans 12, and we've been looking at this on Sunday morning and especially on Wednesday night, our small groups, our growth groups have been great. Uh, in fact, let's give our growth group, small group leaders a big hand. Let them know we appreciate their investment. We're going through the book uh, uh, R12 or Romans 12, uh, uh, True Spirituality, Becoming a Romans 12 Christian. And so I've taken that same theme and kind of used some of the thoughts from the book, but also some of my own thoughts and put together this series, The Real Thing, Becoming a Romans 12 Christian. And so I hope you're there. Let me quickly go through the, the things we've talked about, and then we'll jump right into today's uh, uh, thought for the day. The first thought we gave was that true spirituality is developed in the crucible of total surrender. Everyone say total surrender. We learned that surrendering to Christ, in fact, the first verse says, I beseech you therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God. I'm going to cough again today if I'm not careful. <coughs> I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service of worship. Total surrender is not about what you give up. It's about everything you gain. Somebody say amen. And there's great gain when you surrender yourself totally to the Lordship of Christ. And then from verse 2, we learn that true spirituality is developed by daily renovating of our thoughts. He said this in verse two, he said, and do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed, metamorphosed into a new image by how the renewing of your mind. How many of you know, as your thoughts go, so goes your life. And so that's important to be the real thing. You've got to let Jesus transform the way you think. And then we talked from verse 3, we gave you this thought, true spirituality is developed by the discovery and the development of our true identity. Verse 3, Paul said, you've got to have a sound assessment, a sober assessment of who you are. Most people don't know who they are. Look at your neighbor and say, who are you anyway? They've got some kind of identity, some kind of uh, uh, thought about who they are. But listen, true spirituality is developed uh, when we discover that we, who we are in him. Everyone say, in Christ. <coughs> That's where our real identity is realized. When we realize who we are in him, it changes everything in our life. And the insecurities of our life began to leave because we know who we are in Christ. Someone say, in Christ. And then Josh stepped up while I was away. I don't even remember where. Oh, I was in California talking to young people about this very thing. Josh stepped up to the plate and talked about the fact that true spirituality is developed by the discovery and then the development of our spiritual giftings. If you see in uh, Romans chapter 12, oh gosh, from about verse 3 or verse 4 down through verse 8. 
He talks about our motivational gifts. And how many of you know all of us, God has gifted us and graced us in a particular fashion to accomplish his kingdom purposes in the earth. And so we've got to embrace that. And then last Sunday, I gave you another one. And that is this, true spirituality is discovered and developed by the daily connection and commitment to the family of faith called the church. We get that from verse nine. He said, let love be without what? Hypocrisy. And if you put it all in context, from verse one down to this verse right here, uh, gosh, he, you know, he said, you've got to, you got to transform the way you think. You've got to surrender all to him. Yeah, you've got to understand who you are in Christ and begin to operate in your spiritual giftings. And oh, by the way, in all of this, you've got to have an unhypocritical love, a love that doesn't wear a mask. You've got to get real. Everybody say, get real. And we talked about taking off the mask and just truly connecting and committing to the family of faith. Listen, that's what it's all about. We've got to connect to the family of faith and commit to the family of faith if you're going to really be spiritual. People who think they could just float here and float there, they are mistaken in their understanding of the kingdom of God. God built his church. He built the local church and he wants us all to connect and commit. Everyone say connect and commit. And so that was last Sunday. I would encourage you to plug in and get involved with all those things online. If you missed them, uh, you can listen to every message that I just went through. Uh, and you can catch up if, you, if you're behind. But hey, I think all these messages stand alone in one sense or another. And so today, everyone say, and so today. We're going to continue in this vein. Let me show you what we're going to talk about today. It begins really, oh, in verse uh, 11 and 12. Uh, it's interesting. Let me give you this thought, and then I'll tell you about these two verses. Here it is. True spirituality is realized through the daily development of spiritual stamina. Everyone say spiritual stamina. How many of you don't have much stamina physically? I got my hand up. Now, Josh, he has some stamina. He gets up at... Two in the morning to exercise. I'm joking. It's, oh no, it's really late. It's four in the morning. He's got stamina. Ryan has stamina. He's in love with a weed eater and he can dance with her all day long. In the middle of the heat of the day, he has stamina. I'm not talking about physical stamina. I'm talking about spiritual stamina. The capacity to sustain through life. And if we're going to be spiritual, we've got to develop spiritual stamina in our life where we don't run out of spiritual fuel and energy, where we can just keep on keeping on. Everybody say, whoa, whoa, you got to just keep on keeping on. We can't stop. We can't back up. Now, in the context of this message or in the of Romans chapter 12, it's interesting. He talks about our giftings. We talked about that and that we need to love without hypocrisy and, 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 and love others. Verse 10 talks about being affectionate with others, kindly affectionate, honor, giving preference to one another. And then these next two verses, he turns the tables and it's an internal uh, uh, teaching towards us. He says, this is how you've got to be with others. But let me tell you about how to deal with some things on the inside. There's some things you got to deal with on the inside of your life. And that's verse 11 and 12. And if you're at verse 11 and 12, say, I'm there, Pastor. Here we go. He says this, not lagging in diligence, fervent in spirit, serving the Lord, rejoicing in hope, patient in tribulation, continuing steadfastly in prayer. Now, 
Look in verse 13. He goes back to how we help other people. But these, these two verses, he's talking about issues of our internal spiritual life and the journey of our life. And you say, Pastor, well, how do you get spiritual stamina out of that? Well, he says this in verse 11. Remember the context. He's talking about ministry in the church family and loving one another without a mask and loving one another unhypocritically. He says, he says this, not lagging in diligence. Now the King James says it this way, not slothful in business. Now that just kind of sounds bad, doesn't it? Slothful in business. Now, the word business, he's not talking about your economics of your world. He's not talking about that kind of business. The context is kingdom business. The ministry God has for you. The life he has for you to live. The true spirituality and the genuineness that you have. The responsibility to live out on planet earth. He said this, uh, not lagging in diligence, not slothful in business. But I love the new living translation. It kind of brings it down to us. And it is this. Never be lazy, but work hard. Everybody say, never be lazy, but work hard. Again, the context is not how you earn your living. This is a spiritual context. Understand something. If you become spiritually lazy and lackadaisical in your walk with God, you will not accomplish his kingdom work. It's hard work to be like Christ. If it were easy, everybody would be spiritual today. If it were easy, there would be no need for discipleship classes. There'd be no real reason for the preacher to preach to the church because everybody just easily just slip right on in and grow spiritually. But understand something, spiritual maturity and being truly spiritual is hard work. Paul the apostle comes along in the middle of all this. He says, listen, you can't be lazy in this. You gotta work hard at this. This is not something you can do in your spare time. This is something that you've gotta give attention to in your life. If you're gonna be truly spiritual, you can't be spiritually lazy and lackadaisical with how you approach God and his kingdom business. Everybody say, never be lazy, but work hard. And so this morning, you and I need to realize that, hey, we've gotta work hard at it. In fact, did you know the Bible is replete. I think that's the correct use of that word. Does that mean plentiful? With references to being lazy and to being slothful. In fact, let me throw out a few for you. You can get ahead and turn to Hebrews 6, but let me throw these out to you. Proverbs 13, 4, the soul of a lazy man desires and has nothing, but the soul of the diligent shall be made rich. Proverbs 26, 14, as a door turns on its hinges, so a lazy man does on his bed. This morning I woke up early and I kept waking up in funny positions and I'd roll over. Finally I realized, oh, a lazy man, he just back and forth. Get up. Don't be spiritually, don't be a sloth. Everybody say sloth. That just sounds bad, right? Don't be lazy. Hey, Matthew 25, Jesus in the parable of the talents. You remember the parable of the talents? He's talking about being a good steward of what puts into your care and how some went out and, and, and made, you know, the guy had got five, he made five more. The guy that got two or three, he, he doubled his. But there's one guy got one. What did he do? He buried his, right? And he said, oh, I knew you were a hard man. And you, oh, and, 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 the, and the master said, you're a wicked and lazy servant. 
he kind of, he, he linked wickedness with laziness. And so no wonder Paul comes along in the middle of all of this when he's talking about true spirituality. He stops and in the middle of it, oh, let me just warn you. You can't be lazy, but you got to work hard. Look at your neighbor and say, never be lazy, but work hard. Now, Hebrews chapter 6, let me show you this. This is just one. I love this one. And oh, I wish I had time to break down the context. The first few verses of chapter 6, he's talking about spiritual growth and maturity. And he says, some of you, by this time, you ought to be, uh, uh, you know, uh, verse 5, you ought to be spiritually, but you're still babies and you need milk instead of solid food. And he talks about the foundational doctrines of Christ and about growing spiritually. And you get down in verse, oh gosh, verse 11. He says this, he said, and we desire that each of you, each one of you should show the same diligence to the full assurance of hope until the end that you do not become sluggish. Everyone say sluggish. That means lazy. He's talking about the same thing, not lagging in diligence, that you do not become sluggish, but imitate those who through faith and patience inherit the promises. Look at your other neighbor and say, don't become sluggish. And so the scripture's filled with references to the fact that if we're not careful, we can become spiritually disengaged and lose the spiritual stamina of our mind. See, God wants you to be able to stay strong regardless of the circumstances of your life, regardless of what you're going through. Paul the apostle here in Romans felt the need in the middle of all this discussion about being uh, the, what Jesus would want us to be. He says, now, you can't be lazy about this. You can't be lackadaisical. You can't be slothful. You've got to do some things in your life that would develop spiritual stamina on the inside of you. That regardless of what comes your way, you stay strong in him. Somebody say amen. And so this morning in these two verses, I want to show you some spiritual stamina exercises that he throws out in bullet points. I mean, Paul, if he'd had PowerPoint, he'd have been thrilled right here. Because these are bullet points that he just threw at us that he knew that we needed to incorporate and exercise into our spiritual lifestyle that would give us the capacity to stay strong spiritually and develop spiritual stamina through life. How many of you know life has a way of bringing you down? I mean, just, you know, I, Beverly and I drove, how long we drive, 12, 11 hours, 10 hours? Just driving wore me slap out. Beverly, the last hour, she was nodding off. She didn't like nodding off when I'm tired because she thinks some way she's going to keep me from nodding off and falling asleep. And so, so she woke up kind of, I think I hit one of those, you know, and she, oh, she woke up. She said, you okay? I said, yeah, I got about a 10 minute nap. I feel better now. <laughs> I'm telling you, I'll wear you out. And so you've got to do things. How many of you know just life will wear you out? So we've got to be strong spiritually. Five stamina building exercises that Paul threw out as bullet points. And that's kind of the way I'm going to give them to you in the next few moments here. And the first one is this. It's the exercise. Oh, let me do this before I say it. It's neat about these five things because I want you to get this big picture even before you see these five things. They all work for and benefit the other. Now I know we got, I won't. I won't pick out the bodybuilders in the, in the room because you already know. 
I'm not one. But I guarantee you, these bodybuilders, they don't walk in and pick up one barbell and just do this. Put it down and go, whoo, I feel better now. What do they want? They want a, what do you call it? Come on, help me now. What do you call it? A full body workout. I feel stronger already. It's a, everybody say it, a full body workout. Now, this right here is important. But all those other things are important, and they work together to complement one another. Are you with me? In other words, there's not just one thing you can do. There's a lot of things you've got to do, a lot of different exercises for you to be strong and spiritually stable and have stamina through life. So they work together, and they complement one another, and they stir each other up, and it just makes you, oh, man, I want every part of my life to be strong and stable and have spiritual stamina. So with that in mind, here's the first one. I'll call it the exercise of passion. Look what he says. He says, fervent in spirit. Everyone say fervent in spirit. So catch the context. He says, don't be lazy, but you got to work hard. And oh, let me throw this out. You got to be fervent in spirit. In other words, your spiritual life. And, and let me just throw the word fervent means hot to the point of boiling. Whoo. Anybody ever tried to boil spaghetti and never get the boiling going? You can't, hey, you got to get the water boiling to get anything done, right? And let me tell you something about your spiritual life. Uh, Paul the apostle came along and says, you've got to maintain a spiritual fervency about you. You got to be hot to the point of boiling. Listen, if you're not careful, the spiritual flame of God will go out in your life. And that's, hey, if we wanted to go back to Romans chapter 12, verse 2, when he talked about the, the world trying to conform you into its image, what it's trying to do is blow out the flame of God in your life. Paul came along to his son in the faith, Timothy. In 2 Timothy chapter 1, verse 6, he said, Timothy, stir up the gift of God within you. Somebody say, stir it up. That means fan into flame the gift of God within you. Keep the flame burning bright in your life. Listen, this is a spiritual exercise. This just does not happen naturally. I don't know about you, but I don't wake up every morning going, Oh God, I feel your power and fire in my life today. Did anybody wake up like that today? If you do, I want to I come touch you and you lay hands on me. What did I have to do? I had to wake up. I had to, I had to realize I'm not going to be lazy. I'm going to get up. I had to get Folgers in my cup. That'll help the Holy Ghost stir up in your heart. You do. Best part of waking up is Jesus and Folgers in your cup. I stumbled out on the backyard, in the backyard. Woo, isn't it nice this morning? I, did, I didn't have to cover up or nothing. I was out on the back porch and I began to stir up the gift of God within me. I began to read the word. I began to fellowship with the Lord. I began to pray. I began to get excited about this morning. And the, all of a sudden, oh, the flame. You said, but how do I do this? Let me ask you this. If you're out in the middle of nowhere and it was chilly and you didn't have anything but a fire going on and you had never been a part of a fire before, you didn't know anything about the fire, how to get the fire going, but it was just there, it was a fire and it started going out, you would need Pastor Sam to come along. You would figure it out in a hurry. There's some things I bet I can do that'll make this fire go brighter in my life. This is not rocket science. You don't have to go to college to do this. Come on now. Everybody. Oh, there's a spiritual flame that if we don't keep it burning, it will go out. This little light of mine. 
I'm going to let it shine. It's not going out. The devil's not blowing. He's not blowing it out. I'm going to burn bright for him. Somebody say amen. Everyone say not lagging in diligence. Say don't be lazy. Work hard. And stay fervent in spirit. Keep the flame of God burning bright in your life. You know, we, we just finished up the Olympics. Oh, and it, everybody, it's the lighting of the flame. Remember the torch? The lighting of the flame? You know, that, that's symbolic of a lot of things. But you know, in my mind, what it's symbolic of, it's symbolic of what it took every athlete to get there. He had to stay fervent and fired up about his life and about what he was going to do at the Olympics. <laughs> no Olympian just stumbled into the arena going, huh, I think I'll join the Olympics today. There was something on the inside that burned bright in them and the passion. And listen, if the flame of God is burning, is, is about to go out in your life, it's not the preacher's fault, for goodness sake. It's not the circumstances of your life's fault, for goodness sakes. We are all responsible for the flame that God started on the inside of us. We've got to fan it into flame and keep it burning bright. It's the exercise of passion in your life. You've got to be passionate for Him. Passionate for the things of God. The second exercise that builds the stamina of our spiritual life is not only the exercise of passion, but number two, it's the exercise of purpose. Look what he says in Romans chapter 12. Look what he says, serving the Lord. He says, don't be lazy, but work hard. Be fervent in spirit and serving the Lord. Now, let me just throw a few things out about serving the Lord that you and I need to understand. It's not a once a month showdown in the nursery. It's not a once in a month showdown passing the offering plate. Well, I serve the Lord. I punched my spiritual time clock. I did my duty to God and my country and my church. Hallelujah. Thank God I got another month before I got to show up again. That's not, that's not. I said, I, let me repeat today. That's not what Paul was talking about when he says, don't be lazy. But work hard and be fervent in spirit, serving the Lord. That word serving is a sacrificial laying down of your life. Listen, the exercise of our life is not showing up on your designated Sunday. It's showing up every day before the throne of God saying, I surrender myself to you. I am your servant. I am your slave. I will do whatever you call me to do. I will say whatever you want me to say. I'm here to serve you. That's what Jesus came to do. In fact, it says he came to serve and not be served and to give his life a ransom for many. He didn't come to be served, but he came to serve. We flip the tables. We, we come to church like, you better serve me something good, preacher. You better spit it out today or I'll go down the, the road to the other church. I've heard them say that. Can you believe, OMG, I've heard them say it like the church is here to serve us. Now, how many of you know that does happen? But the heart of God for our life, if you're going to stay, stay passionate for the things of God, if you're going to be the real deal, it can't be about you. It's got to be about serving him. And living a life of sacrifice and surrender in service to God. 
That's what Jesus' primary purpose was. And we've got to keep the main thing the main thing. It's not about us. It's about serving him. It's about living a life of surrender to God and, and following and realizing that we are slaves of God. And Now, let me just throw this out to you. Paul said this to Timothy. In 1 Timothy chapter 1, I believe it is, or 2 Timothy chapter 1, he reveals the real purpose. He said, you know what? We've all been saved and we've been called, but we've got a purpose. And that purpose, you, hey, write down 2 Timothy chapter 1. I won't go there and read it all to you. But what he's saying, he's given the, he's given the, the purpose or the reason uh, for our purpose and our service to God. And that is for the gospel's sake. 2 Timothy 1 reveals the purpose for our service. You see, the purpose for your service is not to make sure the offering gets passed or the communion gets passed or the kids get their diaper changed. That's all a part of it. But the overall arching purpose of our life is for God's kingdom to come and his will to be done and that the gospel, the good news that we talked about a few moments ago, uh, spreads throughout all the earth. Amen. So open our eyes. we got to open our eyes to the realize the exercise of purpose. I'm not here just to sit soaking sour. I'm not here just to change a dirty diaper. I'm not here just to make sure that the offering gets passed. I'm not here just to make sure that somebody sees a smiley face as they walk through church. I'm not here just to talk about uh, some Bible. I'm here to expand the kingdom of God on planet earth. Somebody say amen. Everyone say the exercise of passion. Everybody say the exercise of purpose. We've got to stay plugged into the purpose of God. Everyone say fervent in spirit. Everyone say serving the Lord. Then number three, it's the exercise of praise. Because he says rejoicing in hope. Everyone say rejoicing in hope. Oh, I love this. Now this is bigger. This is much bigger than that little phrase you might think, rejoicing in hope. Listen, uh, 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 rejoicing means to be full of cheer. Everybody smile. To be full of cheer. Not, and let me just tell you, most Christians are not full of cheer. Every once in a while a little bubble comes up. Bloop. And then we're back to, oh my gosh, it's merely Monday already. Some of you, when you walk out the door, it's like, hallelujah. Wait till next Sunday. Oh, praise the Lord. Most people aren't full of cheer. Why? Because their, their cheer, their joy is based upon their life. Woohoo! Income tax showed up. Hey, glory to God. Oh, income tax ran out. Ooh. It's based upon the circumstances of our life. But catch this, rejoicing in hope. Now the word hope is not I hope I get a raise next week. That's not what hope is all about. I I hope my husband doesn't wake up on the wrong side of the bed. Or more importantly, I hope my wife doesn't wake up on the wrong side of the bed. That's not what hope is. Hope is a confident expectation of good for your future. Now, catch this exercise of praise. 
He said, rejoicing in hope, full of cheer because of how things are going to turn out in your future. Now, how many of you know, most of us, when the little bubble joy pops up, it's not about what the future holds. It's about what God did or is doing in your life right now. Most people praise him for what he's done, and that's not bad. Some people praise him for what he's doing in their life. That's not bad either. But Paul said, if you're going to stay spiritual, if you're not going to be lazy, you've got to get into praising him for what's going to happen. You can't be, hey, the basis of your praise cannot be on what he did yesterday or what he may be doing in your life right now. The basis and the core strength of your life must be based upon how you praise him for what he's going to do and what he will do in your future. It's the language of faith. Come on. This exercise keeps you moving forward in your walk with God. It keeps you pressing forward in your walk with God. Come on, folks. We've got to realize, hey, it's not all about yesterday. It's about what he's going to do in our life tomorrow. Look in 2 Timothy chapter 4, verse 9. Look at Paul the apostle. So how many of you know he had some issues? He had some struggles in his life. But look what he said. He, he's coming to the close of his life. He already said, I fought the good fight. I finished the race. And then verse, 10, verse 9 and 10, be diligent to come to me quickly. Man, this guy was in need. He was about to leave planet Earth. He was in prison. He said, for Demas has forsaken me. He feels all alone. He's departed this. He started loving the world and has departed for Thessalonica. And, he, and then he talks about only Luke is with me. And then he goes down and he says, man, bring my cloak. It's cold here. And then he says in verse 14, Alexander the coppersmith did me much harm. May the Lord repay him according to his works. But then he gets down in verse 17. But the Lord stood with me. So that the message, of the, uh, the message might be preached fully through me. That all the Gentiles might hear. Also, I was delivered from the mouth of the lion. Catch verse 18. Now, you got to get this. This is what I'm talking about when we're rejoicing in hope. And the Lord will deliver me from every evil work and preserve me for his heavenly kingdom. To him be glory forever and ever. Amen. Paul knew what it meant when he said, hey, Roman church. You gotta rejoice in hope. You can't look to your past. Listen, in fact, if the truth were known, a lot of us, if we look back, we'd have no reason to rejoice. Some of us, if we're looking at the here and now, no reason to rejoice. But those who are spiritually strong don't look at the past. They don't look at the here and now. They look to the future and they say, glory be to God. God will deliver me from every evil work and preserve me for his heavenly kingdom. To him be glory forever and ever. So be it. Makes you strong spiritually. I came to tell you today, you better get your ox out of yesterday's ditch. How do you get your ox out of yesterday's ditch? Start praising God about your eternity. 
In fact, Paul said in Corinthians, he said, all these momentary light afflictions, they're actually working for us a far greater and more eternal weight of glory. Hallelujah. Somebody give him some praise. It's the exercise of praise. Rejoicing in hope. You know what that tells me? There should never be a reason for us not to be happy in Him. We don't have to be happy for the circumstances we're going through, but we can be happy through the circumstances we're going through. We can be full of cheer. Everybody go, ha, ha, ha. It's about what's coming. Let me tell you something. Planet Earth is terminal. Life on planet Earth is terminal. Life on planet Earth is the shortest amount of time you'll ever live anywhere. It's planet Earth. Come on now. It's about eternity. We've lost our understanding of eternity. We begin to think we're going to live forever here. You're not going to live forever here. You're going to die one day here should Jesus tarry. Life on planet earth is terminal. You need to understand that. You need to realize it's not about, uh, you know, uh, getting it all, you know, getting all you can and can and the rest. It's about doing his will and purpose here on, on this, this life and looking forward to that life. Paul said, I finished my race. Now there's laid up for me a crown of rejoicing. Whew. Somebody say Amen. The exercise of passion, keeping your flame burning bright. The exercise of purpose, serving the Lord, staying faithful to Him, yielding your life as a sacrificial servant to God. It's the exercise of praise, praising Him. Hey, lift up your heads, O ye gates. Jesus said, lift up your heads, your redemption draweth nigh. It's about realizing, hey, hey, God is in charge. And hey, we're going we're gonna to all stand before him one day. And we'll be around the throne with the angels worshiping him and praising him. Come on. Some of you, that just scared you. You have no concept of eternity because all you can think about is the here and now. You better start thinking a bigger picture. Because we will all stand before him. The exercise of praise, rejoicing in hope. And then number four is the exercise of patience. He said patient in tribulation. Everyone say tribulation with a smile. Tribulation is kind of hard. Tribulation. You know what that word means? Pressure. Has anybody ever had pressure? Pressure. It means patient. That doesn't mean like, well, I'm waiting for my wife and I'm patient. That means enduring or persevering or persevering under pressure. Did you know God puts us under pressure? Let me try that again. Is anybody here? Did you know God puts us under pressure? He does. You know the old song, I'm just an old chunk of coal, but I'm going to be a diamond someday. Why? Because of the pressure of this life. You know, Rick Warren wrote a book, The Purpose Driven Life. It's a great book. It's not about you. I'm threatening to write. In fact, this morning, I got all excited about it again. I'm threatening to write a book, The Pressure Driven Life. Most people let the pressure, listen. Most people let the pressure drive them. The pressures of life. Let me ask you this question. How do you handle pressure? How do you handle the pressures of life? Most people don't. They let the pressures handle them. And we've, we've got catchphrases. Man, I'm just stressed out. Man, I'm, I'm pressure. I got pressure. We all have pressure. Get over it. 
look at your neighbor and get all frowned up and said, get over it. We all got pressure. Come on. You're just afraid to do that because you're too charismatic, aren't you? Come on. We all have pressure. God put us under pressure, most of us, and the reason is, is because there's some things that get worked out of us. Hello. Read James 1. He said this, count it all joy, brethren, when you fall under different trials and tribulation, knowing that the testing of your faith produces endurance, and let endurance have its perfect work, that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. You see, hey, it's the exercise of perseverance and patience. I'm going to stay strong. I'm not going to quit. I'm not going to throw in the towel. I'm not going to fall back. I'm not going to draw back. This is just normal. There's pressures in life. Everybody's got pressure. I'm going to, hey, in the middle of it, I'm going to give God praise, and I'm not quitting. I'm not backing up. I'm going to let it work something on the inside of me and it's going to work something on the inside of me that's going to cause me to be blessed in every area of my life. Somebody say amen. Got about 10% Beverly who believe that. I couldn't reproduce what I just said to you so I'll move along. My my tendencies want to convince everybody. Most adversity is God's divine opportunity to do something dynamic in your life. Oh, pastor, pray for me. I got so much pressure. Really? You do? I do. So do I. Come on. Paul, you know what Paul called it? I said it already. It's just a momentary light affliction. In the context of eternity, we think we're afflicted. I've seen affliction. And I've seen people with affliction smile on their face, joy in their hearts. Giving God the glory. And exercising perseverance. Hey, go visit the church in China. Go visit the persecuted church. They've learned to be enduring and persevering under pressure. Amen. Somebody say amen. And finally... In this little caveat to our internal stability, in Romans chapter 12, Paul says, hey, hey, don't don't be lazy. Work hard. Be fervent in spirit, serving the Lord, rejoicing in hope, patient in tribulation. Then he says, continuing steadfastly in prayer. Continuing steadfastly in prayer. Communing with the one who was crucified for your sins. Fellowshipping with the one who was hung up for your hang-ups. Staying in contact the one with the one who's committed himself to you through his death and burial and resurrection on Calvary's cross. You know, the disciples slept while Jesus prayed. Aren't you glad? Jesus doesn't sleep while we pray. In fact, the psalmist said he never sleeps or slumbers. He's attentive to the prayers of our life. We've got to continue steadfastly in prayer. You can't get disconnected from God. 
through a lack of prayerlessness or lack of prayerfulness in your life. Spiritual exercise. Staying in fellowship with Him day by day. Some of you think prayer is so hard. And sometimes it is. Jesus sweat, as it were, great drops of blood. But understand something. It's also a daily fellowship with Him. A joy of being in the presence of God. Praying, seeking Him. Worshiping Him. Our first 20 minutes in our conference on Wednesday night, the worship leader began to sing, the more I seek you, the more I find you. And it exploded in my heart. Two words, seek him. Just it lit up in me. Oh God, I want to continue steadfastly in prayer. I want to be patient in tribulation. Rejoicing in hope. Serving the Lord. Fervent in spirit. Let me give you some things to remember. Number one, just follow the model. When it comes to prayer, just follow the model. Just follow Jesus. He prayed in the morning, prayed at night. He had rise a great while before day. Well, I'm just not a morning person. Well, if you don't find him in the morning, you'll be hunting for him by noon. You want me to say that again? Do you need to tweet that or do you need to remember? If you don't find him early in the morning, you'll be searching for him by noon. Well, I'm just not a morning person. Well, get over that and get up. Hey, you want me to call you at 5 o'clock in the morning? I can do that. I'll do that for you for about three or four days. And you'll get so tired by 9 o'clock the next night, you'll go to bed and start waking up at 5 It's a miracle. You see, I'm too old to care whether or not you like how I say it or not. Hey. That's what true spirituality is all about. Maintaining a spiritual stamina of life through the good times and the bad times. Now, here's some things to remember about today. The call to true spirituality requires us to never be lazy, but work hard. Say it with me. The call to true spirituality requires us to never be lazy, but work hard. Say this. True spirituality is hard work. Say it. True spirituality is hard work. Nobody ever told you that before, did they? Come to Jesus. And he'll bless you. He might put you under pressure. Because he looks at you and realizes there's some things got to go. It's hard work. Now catch this. If you thought anything I said today was a little on the edge, this is going to really be on the edge. Most spiritual failure is not caused by external demonic warfare, but by internal dull-headed weakness. Most spiritual failures is not caused by external demonic warfare, but internal dull-headed weakness. 
In fact, understand something about the devil. He can only take advantage of an open door. And if you give him an open door by, by, by not developing a spiritual stamina of life, by being dull-headed and weak spiritually, He will come in and take advantage of that, but understand it's because we gave him an open door. Most spiritual failure, the root of it is not because the, the devil made me do it. No, it's because we gave him an open door and we chose to be lazy spiritually and dull-headed and weak in our spiritual walk with God. There I said it. Whew, get it off my chest. I'm done, I think. Paul came along and said, you want to be the real deal? It's going to take hard work. It's going to take effort and energy to build spiritual stamina. Let's stand together.